Welcome back to the Rebel Core Content Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. I'm Anand Swaminathan, and this week I've got a repeat guest on, Dr. Katrina DeMore. Katrina is an attending at St. Joseph's in Patterson, New Jersey, as well as our MedEd fellow. You'll remember Katrina from her last visit talking about patients with liver cirrhosis and the many resuscitative challenges they present. Katrina, welcome back. Thanks for having me back again. Happy to be here. All right, so this time we've got you on to chat a bit about a recent presentation you gave on vascular disasters. It was a great talk, lots of great points, but let's start with why this topic. Why did this topic come into your mind as one to give? Well, as a wise mentor once told me, teach and lecture on what interests you, what you're passionate about, and really what scares you in the ED. And in recent months, I've happened to have several patients with vascular emergencies. None of them have been your typical presentation or anything that I learned in textbooks, really. And they all had different vascular diagnoses in the end, so I realized quickly, I really need to brush up on this and become an expert at these emergencies and how they can present. When it comes to these vascular emergencies, what's the biggest challenge that we're presented with? One of the biggest challenges with these is delayed or even missed diagnosis. The cases in which the diagnosis is delayed are those that present atypically or in which we aren't even thinking about the diagnosis at all. And time is tissue in these emergencies. So the longer the delay, even just a matter of minutes to hours, the bigger the morbidity and mortality for our patients. When you say vascular emergencies, what diagnoses are you talking about? Well, the vascular emergencies we hear most about are stroke and pulmonary embolism, right? But there are so many others that are just as devastating, but often aren't in the spotlight. They range from carotid artery dissection, acute ischemic limb, and the aortic catastrophes, such as ruptured aneurysm and dissection. And then the lesser-known disasters like thrombospopliteal artery aneurysm and cerulea phlegmasia dolens. Any and all of these are vascular emergencies, and as you can see, the pathology and presentation can be really variable. For the purposes of this talk that you gave, you focus most of your time on the acute ischemic limb, so let's dive into that topic. Start us off with a definition as well as some of the common causes. So acute ischemic limb is the abrupt cessation of blood flow to an extremity, and it can have a lot of causes. The two most common causes are from an embolism, usually from the heart or the aorta, or from an in situ thrombus. In situ thrombi in the extremities develop in the same way they would in the coronary arteries. So you're gonna have someone with chronic atherosclerosis and thus narrowing of the arteries. Then either a plaque ruptures and causes a clot to form, or the artery is so stenosed that the blood is flowing so slowly that a clot ultimately forms right there. There are a lot of other causes such as trauma and iatrogenic, but an embolism or a thrombus are the two most common and account for up to 80% of acute ischemic limb. As you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of different diagnoses within that vascular catastrophes, and we spend a lot of time focused on aortic dissection and the triple A's and the strokes. So why pick this specific vascular emergency to dive into? This diagnosis really scares me because it can present so differently depending on the patient and whether they have pre-existing peripheral vascular disease or not. It's also something we can diagnose clinically if we just look for it. One of the things you already mentioned was that delayed and misdiagnoses are common and a major issue. Which groups of patients are at risk? Where should we start thinking about these disorders? So for all of these vascular emergencies, we're always thinking about our typical vascular paths, right? So the patients with pre-existing atherosclerosis, like coronary artery disease, peripheral artery disease, previous strokes, and then our patients with weakened vessels, such as our diabetics and our smokers. 
Remember, if a patient has arterial disease in one part of their body, say their coronaries, then they're likely to have arterial disease everywhere. Those, of course, are the classic risk factors that we are taught and we think about. But there are also some atypical risk factors that you highlighted that we also should consider when we're thinking about this diagnosis. So we definitely want to consider also patients with accelerated vascular disease. And the two main groups of patients in that regard are those with HIV, whether they are on antiretroviral therapy or not, doesn't matter, and patients with rheumatological diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. The common denominator here is the presence of chronic ongoing inflammation that over time will lead to atherosclerosis. Lastly, remember that any patient who's at risk for a venous thromboembolism are patients who are pregnant, have malignancy, or have hypercoagulable states. They are also at risk for an arterial thromboembolism. So when you put all these patient groups together, we're talking about a large population at risk for acute ischemic limb. How about the presentation? Because I remember reading about the six P's of the acute ischemic limb, pain, paresthesias, poikilothermia, pulselessness, pallor, and paralysis. And I did not remember those off the top of my head. I did have to look them up. And it seems to me that I'm really unlikely to miss the diagnosis if a patient comes in with a pulseless leg that they can't move. That's exactly right. Memorizing the six P's for me never really helped make this diagnosis in real practice. The pulseless, paralyzed leg is not the one we're really going to miss. And those are also the patients that are past the point of saving. We want to catch this early on for patients so they have a shot at the best interventions and best outcomes possible. So with that, I want to emphasize that pain is really the first symptom. And me being me, I wanted to know why that is. It's because pain fibers are smaller and they're often unmyelinated. So this leaves them very susceptible to ischemia. On the other hand, motor fibers are much larger, heavily myelinated, so they are affected later by ischemia. Basically, they have a cushion around them that protects them. So this makes paralysis a later finding. And paresthesias is somewhere in the middle. Now, vascular surgeons use something called the Rutherford criteria to correlate the physical exam findings with the viability of the limb. Once a limb is paralyzed, you're dealing with irreversible and permanent tissue loss, and that patient will require an amputation. So we want to catch these patients in the pain phase. Pain will come first, then paresthesias, and paralysis last. One more point that's really important to make is that the amount of pain the patient is in will vary. Patients with chronic peripheral vascular disease have usually developed collateral circulation to help perfuse their limbs around whatever vessels they have stenosis in. So an acute thrombus or embolism in these patients may not cause as much pain, and the reported duration of pain may be longer. So just because someone might come to you with vague, dull, maybe not so severe pain that's maybe been going on for even a few days, they can still have an acute problem that needs intervention. Early on, a lot of patients with ischemic limbs are going to present with pain, but the pain can be caused by so many different things. After getting the risk factors and symptoms, along with that pain presentation, where do you go next? So your first step is a good exam. Sorry, not a lot of fancy bells and whistles here. We're not doing Reboa, but these are some tips that can give you a lot of information fast. You can do almost all of this, too, while you're still getting the history from the patient. All right, so you started in your talk with the look. So what are you looking for in these patients who you're worried about ischemic limbs? First, you're going to just look at the general appearance of the limb in question and always compare it to the contralateral limb. So is the leg that they're having pain in or paresthesias in cold or warm? Is it pale, 
mottled, cyanotic, reddish even. You can also tell whether someone has pre-existing peripheral arterial disease by looking at their limb. So does your 65-year-old male patient look like he just used nair on his legs and he has really smooth and shiny skin? Do they have chronic wounds that just won't heal? Does the patient's foot get reddish purple if you let it hang off the bed? That's called dependent ruber. All of these things are signs of chronic disease, which also puts them at risk for acute ischemia. After a look, you're going to start the palpation phase of your examination, and we often start that with palpating for a pulse. But Katrina, you and I both know that palpation isn't so reliable. Right. We've all heard about the studies showing that we even have trouble finding a carotid pulse during a code when a patient does have a pulse. So it's fair to assume we're probably terrible at feeling for distal pulses, especially in the lower extremities. But we should at least try to palpate. And if you do feel a nice, strong dorsalis pedis and posterior tibial pulse, then you're probably in good shape. Make sure to always compare a limb with the contralateral one. And if you can't palpate a pulse, we're going to move on to the next step and grab that Doppler. With the Doppler, I vaguely remember from my vascular surgery week as a med student that you can have different phases to the pulse, but I don't remember the details of that. So what's a normal phasic response on the Doppler and what's abnormal? So triphasic is normal, monophasic or absent is abnormal, and biphasic may be normal or abnormal. Now, triphasic flow corresponds to normal arterial flow through one cardiac cycle of systole and diastole. So the flow in the artery goes forward, then back a little, then forward again during each cardiac cycle. And this gives you the three sounds of the triphasic Doppler flow. Now, sometimes that third sound is hard to hear, especially for us in the ED, and we're probably using our old Doppler machines that look like they're from 1980. And that's why biphasic may be normal. You might just not be hearing that third sound. Now, YouTube has some really great audio of different types of flow if you want to go and listen for yourself. And we'll try and embed some of those videos in our show notes as well so people can link to those. Now, let's review everything that we've gone over already. I've got a patient presenting with leg pain. I review their risk factors, and they've got some classic ones, atherosclerosis, maybe some atypical ones like lupus or HIV. And aside from pain, there's not much else going on, but I can't feel a pulse, and the Doppler gives me a monomorphic waveform. What's my next step? Okay, so now you've clinically diagnosed acute ischemic limb. The patient's leg is having a stroke, so now it's time to act fast. You're going to get a call out to your vascular surgeon on call, preemptively order that heparin drip, and get the patient over to CTA. We need to get some definitive imaging for the patient. CTA is going to give your consultant a lot of good information, like where exactly is the occlusion, is there more than one occlusion, or is this actually a dissection that's starting in the aorta? Which brings me to another pearl. When you're concerned for acute ischemic limb, also CTA the vessels feeding that limb, namely the aorta. So if you're worried about the left leg, for example, you're going to scan at least from the diaphragm down. A lot of people are going to ask, what about ultrasound? Especially in the age where we're doing a lot of bedside ultrasound for a lot of different things. Ultrasound is great for giving us a quick bedside assessment of a lot of vascular issues, and we can use it for its Doppler capability as well but it does have some limitations we need to be aware of. Obviously, the quality of the scan and the images is dependent on the operator and how experienced they are. The quality is also dependent on the patient and their body habitus. Ultrasound may not perform as well for certain vessels either, such as those in the pelvis and those distal to the popliteal fossa. 
So in a situation where time is tissue and the patient will likely need a surgical intervention, just get the CT angio of the aorta and that limb that you're worried about. It will also give your vascular surgeon a lot of good information for planning of the intervention. So when you've got that patient with pain, decreased pulses or absent pulses, you're worried about the ischemic limb, get your vascular surgeon on the phone, start the heparin drip, get the CTA. It's actually a pretty easy set of steps that we have to go through, but really important to move on it quickly. Don't wait for the CTA to then call your vascular surgeon. Call them first, but the CTA is so helpful for them, there's no reason not to get it. It's a really great review of the acute ischemic limb, something, again, that we don't see every day, but we do have to be on the lookout for it. And I think if we are on the lookout for it, we will catch more of these patients early before they come in with that paralysis or the cold limb that's pulseless. Katrina, before we go, let's hit the listeners with some big take-home points. All right, let's take this on home. So number one, first get ischemic limb and other vascular disorders on your radar. Consider it in basically everyone like we discussed, your typical vasculopaths, those with accelerated disease, and anyone at risk for venous thromboembolism is also at risk for arterial thromboembolism. No one wants to miss this diagnosis, so keep it on your radar. Number two, remember, we wanna catch this as early as possible. Pain is first, then paresthesias, and paralysis means irreversible damage. Number three, get in the habit of performing a vascular exam on every patient with pain. You'll not only get better and quicker at it, but you may also catch some arterial disease and refer stable patients before they get to the point of an emergency. And lastly, once you think you're dealing with an acute ischemic limb, put a call out to the vascular surgeon and get your patient over to CTA of the aorta and the affected limb. This will give you and your consultant important information to plan limb and life-saving interventions. All right, that's all for the Rebel Core Content Podcast this week. We'll be back in two weeks with another podcast. If you want to check out more from the Rebel EM team, hop on over to the site at rebelem.com to see posts from everyone that we work with. Also, the Rebellion and EM conference is back again in San Antonio from June 5th to 7th, and we've got a fantastic lineup with Dr. Jillian Schmitz giving the keynote and talks from Tarlin Hedayati, David Carr, Hillary Fairbrother, Jamie Hope, Rob Bryant, Andy Little, Haney Malamut, Zaph Kassim, Ashley Liebig, George Willis, Scott Wieters, Mizaho Morrison, and so many more. Go to rebellionandem.com to check out more on the conference, and we hope to see you there.